glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Let's stand, if you would, please, to honor the reading of God's Word, Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Verse 16, though as a historical verse, it's also very figurative. Cain did what? He went out from the presence of the Lord and to my knowledge never ever returned because he got offended at God's way of salvation. You may be seated if you would. I said we'd read both texts before we were seated and I forgot. Hebrews chapter 11, just stay seated, that's fine. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read verse 4. It's just one verse about Abel, but it's from here. We'll be going back and forth between these two texts. But from here we have more stated about Abel than Cain, much of Genesis 4 as we said before is devoted to Cain and how he responded to God. But Hebrews 11, verse 4, uh, let, me, let me go ahead and read verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Last week we looked in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of Adam and Eve and what God did to provide to cover the shame of their, of their sin, the nakedness where they had tried to, to, to provide for their own through making aprons of fig leaves and God did not accept that. God rejected that and it's important as we compare the two texts today when Adam and Eve sought to work and present themselves to God covered by their own works, God said, I reject. Then Genesis 3.15, God said that the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, futuristic, prophetic, that one day 
the offspring, the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man, the seed of the woman, would bruise the head of the serpent and through his death on the cross. That's what the Lord Jesus did. So God made a promise in verse 15 of an ultimate defeat of the serpent who had defeated Adam and Eve through deception and sin. And then God clothed Adam and Eve with coats of skins. When we compare Genesis 3 with Genesis 4, we're barely into the Bible and you're already seeing a pattern of what God requires for man to be made acceptable in his sight. Adam and Eve tried to make themselves acceptable in God's sight by sowing fig leaves and God said, it's not acceptable. He rejected what they did and he himself slew some animal, removed its skin, made coats for them and clothed them. They received the clothing as a gift. It was not a reward and we see that pattern. Undoubtedly, Cain and Abel knew about what took place. It was their parents who had tried to approach God with fig leaves and God had not accepted that. But then when they received what God provided for them that cost the life of another animal, substitutional, sacrificial shedding of blood is what was necessary to atone for their sins. All of that speaking of the seed of the woman and what he would one day do. So now we come into Genesis 4, having just come out of Genesis 3, and the story is very similar again. You have the sons of of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. It seems inferred in the text that when Cain was born, Eve says, I've gotten me a man from the Lord. It seems perhaps she already believed the seed of the woman was right there, her firstborn son. What a grave disappointment she had coming. So then the Bible says she named her second son Abel. My understanding of the meaning of his name is vanity, vain. One commentator points out perhaps by the time Abel was born, she had already observed enough about Cain to know it's vain. He's not the one. Likely, very likely. Either way, both young men knew there was a God. They knew they were accountable to God, and they both attempted to approach God. They both were very religious men. There are so many today that if we could boil down what we really think, you'd say, well, if you're really religious and you want to approach God, then you're... You're a Christian or you're righteous. And it says religion does not equal righteousness. Man is, man is religious by nature. There are tribes all over the, the world in some dark place that are going through religious rituals today trying to soothe their conscience or to atone for their wrongs, whatever their sense of wrong may be, their conscience given them by God tells them there's right and there's wrong and there's sin and there's righteousness and So here we have the first two sons ever born, both religious, both approaching God, but God accepts one, has respect unto Abel and his offering, and he does not have respect unto Cain and his offering. And I believe the unbeliever looks at that and says, well, that ain't right. Why would God do that? The person says, I want truth, says, I want to figure out what the difference is. Hebrews 11 tells us in comparison to Cain, that, that Abel's offering was more excellent than Cain's. Cain made an offering, but Abel's was right. Cain's was wrong. The Bible tells us that Abel offered his offering by faith, which tells you Cain did not. Cain did not offer by faith. Cain offered by presumption or some other means, but not by faith. And so we have to compare this morning the two offerings to some degree to see, uh, I want to see three things about Abel's offering. I think verse 4 gives us very naturally in this verse three things about Abel's offering, beginning with the virtue of his offering that we see here in verse 4, and we'll see back again in Genesis chapter 4. So Hebrews eleven 4, let's read it again. 
by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. God chooses, the Holy Spirit of God chooses to describe Abel's offering by comparing it to Cain's. So it's very clear, both men, both men want God to accept them. Most men today, it's a rare person you find that's arrogant enough to say, I don't really care if I go to heaven. I don't really care if God accepts me as I am. I'm looking forward to partying in hell. Most men that say that, and I've had men tell me that. I'll just be with all my buddies in hell someday. Rarely do you find someone like that. Normally they are smoke screening anyway. That's not what they mean anyway, but they just want you to leave them alone. Here's what I'd say this morning. Just because someone wants God to accept them does not mean that God will. Just because I want to be acceptable to God does not mean that I am. Cain wanted God to accept him. But here was Cain's ideology. God will accept me as I approach him on my terms or not at all. God will take me as I am. Now, I love the old song, just as I am, I come, I come. But the spirit behind that song is I'm a sinner undeserving of approaching God and I'm willing to come as I am to receive his pardon. Many today, my sister wrote a good article on this some time back, many today would flip that song to put a different spirit behind it to say God can accept me as I am or he's probably not God. I'll come to God as I am and any God that wouldn't take me as I am is not a loving God. That's more the attitude of Cain. He is going to come to God and approach God in a manner that God could not and would not accept. So the excellence of Abel's offering or the virtue of his offering is going to be seen in a few different ways. Go back, if you would, uh, to Genesis chapter 4. And you just might want to keep your finger because we keep going back and forth. But Genesis chapter 4, again, I want to read what the Bible says. It doesn't say a lot about Abel's offering, but it says a lot about Abel's offering. So you just contradicted yourself. It's not a lot of words, but it makes a volume of a statement when we compare and contrast the kind of offering that Abel brought and the kind of offering that Cain brought. The first thing that makes Abel's uh, offering virtuous is that it was brought by faith. Bought by faith. And we'll give you four words to start with an F. If you keep an outline, it might help you remember what they are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be, but it's kind of natural again in our Bible today. First of all, his offering was by faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The only way Abel knew to bring the kind of offering he did is that God told him. Now, it is only natural to assume that if God told Abel, God also had told Cain. They knew the kind of offering. By the way, by the time you and I get to Genesis 4, do we already have an idea of the kind of offering God will accept and won't? Does God accept hard-working vegetation as an offering for sin? Had God already proven that to Adam and Eve? I won't accept your works. You'll have to accept what I offer you. Not that it's wrong to give an offering. It wasn't the offering that saved Abel. It's the faith that was behind it. It was the faith that God was going to send a redeemer as a substitute in his place. The innocent for the guilty. Rather than me redeeming myself. So... Abel's offering was an offering of faith. That is what makes it an acceptable offering to God. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith, that's trust in God and His Word. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's Hebrews 11.6. So Abel's offering was virtuous in that it was brought by faith. Number two, if you're there in Genesis 4, the Bible says in verse 4, and Abel, he also brought of the, what's the next word? Firstlings of his flock. If you study the Bible, and if you know anything about yourself, first things and who you give them to tells you who's first in your life. Abel offering to God the firstling of his flock, that's the prime, that's the prime, is telling us Abel had a proper understanding and belief about who God is. He believed that God is and that God is good. So how do you know that? He gave him the firstling. What do we call it when we've all... Okay, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get uh, food. Everybody gets to eat the first time it's prepared. After that, you stick in the refrigerator, and it's called what? Leftovers, you, whatever you want to call. Who do you give your leftovers to? Your best guess, right? No. Your kids and your husband. Amen. Hey, I like leftovers, by the way. You ask my kids. We had them last night. I'm all about leftovers, but you don't give leftovers to a guest of honor. You give the first fruits. I mean, you give your best. The first fruits. Abel, did Cain give his first fruits? Probably not, or the Bible would have said so. But Abel did. He gave the firstling of his flocks, meaning his, his prime choice little lamb, that's what he offered God. You know what that says? That tells us that he understood God was worthy of the best. It tells us his attitude toward God was not that God is a mean old dictator trying to get me to do things his way, but God is worthy to be trusted. God can be trusted. He is worthy to be worshipped. God is good. We do not give God our best if we don't think God is good. The great debate in your heart and mind today is, is God good? If there's a debate, that shouldn't be a debate. The Lord is good. His character will never change. And when you have faith in God, you have faith in His character. I believe Abel offering the first fruits of his flock tells us he had faith in the very character of God. He did not give God his leftover. In Amos, God rebukes His people. He says, to bring that with your offering with leaven. Uh, He says, to bring essentially... Why don't you go ahead and bring your animals that are crippled and that are all something wrong with them? This liketh you. Meaning to bring God your leftovers is treating God like he is, he is second rate. He's not worthy of my best. So the first fruits tells us of Abel's attitude toward God. God is the one. Here's what a repentant heart says. When there's a disagreement between me and God, he's the one that's right. First fruits says Abel was repentant. God is not the one that erred here. That would be us. God is still good. Man's sinful condition is not an indictment on God. Man's sinful condition is an indictment on man. Don't miss this this morning. There's a lot of people upset and angry at God today. How could a good God let evil go on in the world? How in the world could a good God not snuff us out already with a level of rebellion against Him? Why does He let us even live? Because He's good. Abel and Cain had a very different attitude toward God. When Cain brought his best and God said, your best is not good enough, if it was his best, but whatever Cain brought was his hard work. This is what I've produced for you, God. Surely you're proud of me. And God says, no. What does Cain say? He doesn't even talk to God. He goes and talks to Abel. He envies Abel because Abel has God's approval and he does not. And then when God does talk to Cain and says, 
Where's your brother? He says, I don't know. The first word he said to God was a lie. When God pinned him with his sin, he said, mm-hmm. Then when God says, you wouldn't slay an animal, but you slay your brother. I mean, that's not the words in the Bible. You get a hold of that, though? Cain wasn't willing to shed blood for a sacrifice to offer God, but he didn't have a problem shedding the blood of his brother. And God calls him on it, and he says to God, you've punished me too much. What's his attitude? God's the bad guy instead of him being the bad guy. This morning, Abel's offering had virtue, number one, because it's brought by faith. Abel believed what God said. God had said that a redeemer would come, and Abel believed it. I believe Abel believed, Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would come and bruise the head of the serpent. I believe he believed that his own offering of his own good works was not acceptable to God. He believed what he had been told from God. Cain did not. And so then the virtue is seen in the fact that he came by faith. It's seen in the fact that he offered his first fruits. It's seen in the fact that he offered a flock, part of his flock, and not fruit from the ground. You and I both know what this requires. This tells of Abel's attitude about his own sinfulness. He didn't offer something to counter his badness. He didn't say, well, yeah, I've done some wrong, but look at all the hard work I've done. What he said is, my wrong has cost the death of this innocent little lamb. He offered by faith an understanding and an acknowledgement. Uh, He agreed with God about how sin looks. Adam and Eve tried this. We saw this Genesis 3 last week. They tried picking some fig leaves and working to cover their sin and shame, and God didn't even acknowledge it. Instead, he slew animals to take their place. Blood had to be shed. Death had to be administered. The consequence for sin is not hard work. Hard work existed before sin. The consequence for sin is death. You say, man, that's awful. Really? I mean, death? Isn't Isn't that pretty harsh? If we think that way, we're wrong. We don't have an understanding of how serious it is to rebel against God. And Abel did. The fact that he offered an animal had to shed blood, an animal, a substitute. The the same thing is true about the offering of Abel as it is about the coats that Adam and Eve accepted. The sacrifice that Abel brought required a sacrifice. It required Abel losing his choicest sheep because it's not just laid down and him hypothetically saying, Lord, You could have this if you wanted it and then picking him right back up. No, he slew that little sheep, that little lamb. Blood was shed. Abel offering the firstling of his flock tells us Abel had an understanding of the consequence of sin. When we belittle and make light of sin, God says we're fools. Fools make a mockery of sin. Fools make a mock of sin. Fools say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I'm not obeying God, but it's not that big of a deal. Here's how big of a deal sin is. For it to be punished, Jesus Christ had to have nails in his hands, thorns on his head, beat with a cat of nine tails, spit in his face, and crucified on a Roman cross with God not even looking his way, darkness on earth for three hours. That's the picture of sin. You and I do not atone for sin by doing nice deeds. The wages of sin is death. All those years before Jesus would die for the sins of Abel, Abel believed that he would. Say, did he know his name? No. It was by faith. He took God at his word that God would provide the seed of the woman to take the place and bruise the head of the serpent. And so the virtue of his offering is seen in the fact that he offered it by faith. 
He offered the first fruits. That is, a, that is an indication of his attitude toward God. He offered of his flock. That is an indication of his attitude toward his sin. This is the cost of my sin. This substitute has to take my place. It was a sacrificial, substitutional, sufficient sacrifice in this sense. He understood this is what God has said he'll accept. And so, same as what God clothed Adam and Eve with, Abel offers that substitute, and that tells us what his attitude toward sin was. Then there's a fourth word. The Bible says in Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. Now, we might chuckle at that, but the fact is the fat was a picture, again, of giving God the best. But I want to ask you this. Anybody else know what fat does on a grill? Burns. Meaning, let me ask you this. Once Cain, and we don't want to go anywhere with our imagination, but let's just look at the facts we're given. Once Cain has offered his offering to God, if it's not licked up by fire, guess what you can do? What every idolater does, you can still eat it. You can have your cake and eat it too. I can offer to God, but at the heart of it, what was fueling Cain's offering? Selfishness. I'm going to show off what I can do, and when it's all said and done, I still get to consume it. When you offer your offering with the fat, you know God's going to consume it with fire. And only God's going to get it. And there's no selfishness involved whatsoever. That tells me Abel was sincere in this matter. He was expecting. You know what faith does? It expects God to do what he promises. He was expecting God to consume his fire because he had approached God whose way? God's way. You know what? When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he died once for all, meaning what he took on that cross was the payment God requires for the sins of man. You can't add anything to that. It is a sufficient, complete sacrifice. The consumption of a burnt offering was a God's expression of I accept. You can look throughout the Bible. When Elijah offered, how did God show his approval? The people of Baal went around cutting themselves, talking to their God, and nothing ever happened. Elijah doused his sacrifice with water, and God consumed it with fire because it was at the word of the Lord. When you approach God on God's terms, you can know that God will accept you on His terms. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why? Because the Lord was the sufficient one-time sacrifice for our sins. To try to add to that, to, to appease God, to atone for our sins, is flying in the face of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died, the Bible says, tasted death for every man. When I believe God, I believe the fat on the sacrifice is an indication that that sacrifice is going to be completely consumed. You know, it tells me in that sacrifice, Abel is dying to himself. This is not about me showing God what I've done or getting something back out of this. This is about acknowledging to God, you are holy, you are righteous, I am a sinner, and I approach you based on your way of salvation, a sacrifice in my place. A blood sacrifice in my place. The only way God will accept you today is not by you approaching God and telling God how good you are, but acknowledging God, you are good. I am the sinner, and the only atoning price for my sin is what Jesus did for me. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord and your good works. I'm going to tell you something this morning. I hope you hear me well. I'm saying this tone on purpose. That's many people's gospel. It's more, it is more LDS than they think. Ah, Jesus does all that I can't. 
I do my best, and whatever I can't make up, Jesus does the rest. I'm going to tell you something. Abel did not offer fruit of the ground and a lamb. He only offered a lamb. Meaning he had confidence in the substitute work of Christ one day. He approached God God's way, not based on what he did for God, but what God would do for him in showing him mercy. That's the only way to approach God today. And so then, the virtue of his sacrifice is seen that he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now back to Hebrews 11, if you would. We find the vindication in his sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 11. I meet a lot of people when you say, are you ready to meet God? Meaning, are you righteous enough for God to accept you? I think it's a good way to put it. Are you righteous enough for a holy God to accept you? There's only one way to do that. You've either, to, to make us acceptable to God, we've either got to make Him sinful or us righteous. So what a lot of people have done today is say, well, I just think God is like me. I asked a young lady maybe a couple of years ago, I said, do you think Jesus Christ ever sinned? She said, yeah, I think probably so. And she was in a mainstream religion. There's no way. No way. What we're doing then is making God sinful. No, no. God's not sinful. Then how do we make us righteous? Well, we can try it Cain's way. I'll work real hard and present my best works to God, and hopefully he'll be happy with that. And if he's not, I know he's not a good God. If God won't accept my best works, there's something wrong with him. Nothing wrong with me. Abel said, no, I believe God. There's something wrong with me. Daddy sinned, and I have too. And I cannot approach God. I have nothing good to offer him. So I'll approach him his way. I'll give this substitute to take my place. Don't you think that broke Abel's heart? To take his own little lamb. He's a keeper of sheep, not a killer of sheep. And know this is what my sin has caused? My little lamb has to die because of what I've done? Now, shouldn't it? Listen, friend. If Calvary's cross doesn't break your heart, then you ought to go somewhere today and say, God, let it. That Jesus, the sinless, the only sinless human that's ever walked this earth, had to be slain so that you and I can be forgiven. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Listen next. The chastisement of our peace. The penalty and punishment necessary for you and I to have peace with God was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. The best God has to offer is Jesus Christ. He was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Yet he had to die so we can live. Oh, it does us well to hear the gospel again and again. I don't care if you've heard it for all your life. Don't you picture Abel taking his choicest first fruit lamb and saying, because I am sinful, he has to die so I can live and have a relationship and a fellowship with God. That's what it cost us today, friend. It cost the life of Jesus Christ for you and I to even be able to pray to God. People say, I pray to God all the time. Not outside of Christ, you don't. There's no right to approach God except through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for your sins. And so then, the virtue of Abel's sacrifice. Then we find the vindication, Hebrews 11, 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. That's the virtue. By which he obtained what? Witness that he was righteous. Now, who did this witnessing? Who said Abel was righteous? Well, the answer is in the verse. God testifying of his gifts. The Bible says, this, what this is speaking of is when the Bible says that God had respect unto Abel's offering, but had not respect unto Cain and his offering, it tells us that God was saying, Abel's righteous, Cain is not. Well, was it that perfect little lamb that made him righteous? No, it was his faith in God's word. It was believing that God would provide salvation through a substitute, through the, the sinless blood of Christ one day. 
The Bible says in 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 18 and 19, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave His blood, precious blood, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And God testified that Abel was righteous. Listen, you and I cannot testify today that we're righteous. That is what God does. May I say this? If God says you're righteous, do you need to worry about whether or not you're saved? Assurance of your righteousness must come from here. Not here and here. It'll be in your heart, but through this. The Bible says, let me turn it, 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now notice what God says, that who testified of Abel that he was righteous? Did Abel go around saying, Cain, I'm righteous and you're not? No, God did. God said, this one's mine, this one's not. This one's righteous, this one's not. God testified. And God still does that today by the Holy Spirit. He testifies to those that are righteous that they are. First John chapter 5, the Bible says, verse 9, let's back up, verse 7. For there are three that bear record, that's to witness of the truth. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that, what? Believe on the name of the Son of God. Meaning you're trusting what Christ has done for you. That you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter 8. We're talking about the vindication of Abel. And of his sacrifice. God is the one that vindicated Abel. You know what other word we'd use for vindicated? Justified. Justified. God is the one that justifies. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Now if we move on down to Romans chapter 8 verse 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness. Who's bearing witness here? The Holy Spirit of God. With our spirit that we will be or that we are. That we are the children of God. Who said Abel was righteous? God did. God did. God says upon your faith in Jesus Christ that we are made righteous by the faith of of Jesus Christ. Read Romans 4, Romans 5, Romans 6. All throughout, Romans 3, Romans 4. Read those chapters in Romans and you'll find that we are justified by faith. Let me read very quickly Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Meaning it's the word of God that declares a man righteous, not a man's feelings, not a man's emotions. How many believe Cain declared himself righteous? Of course he did. Abel never did. God declared him righteous. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then the fact of the matter is this morning, in Abel's sacrifice, the virtue of it is seen in comparison to Cain's, but the vindication of it is, it is God that says Abel was righteous, and he did so by accepting what Abel offered. You and I, you know what we offer today? All you can offer God is faith in Jesus Christ. 
That's what makes you righteous. And again, time doesn't allow this morning the host, the host of verses on this subject. John 3.16, we know so well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him and does really good works should not perish. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, what well, faith without works is dead. That is correct. How many of you know that Abel did a work? He offered a sacrifice. Why? Because he believed God. It was not his work of offering that saved him. It was his faith that saved him. The work of offering revealed that faith. The Bible says his offering, God said, testified that that is what indicates he is righteous. didn't say it's what made him righteous. It would indicate he was righteous. His offering a lamb by faith, the firstlings of his flock, indicated that he had believed God concerning God's way of salvation, a sinless, bloody substitute in our place. That's the cost of sin. And only Jesus Christ could pay it, and he did. And so then, it is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that, in that, when we, when we meet God on his terms, it's his word. You say, how do you know you're saved today? I promise you there are days I sit and I think about how I prayed or how I feel or what a horrible Christian I am, I think, at times. And I sit and I think about that. Or if I start thinking I'm a good Christian, then I know something's probably wrong. And I go back and I look at the Bible, and the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says we've obtained righteousness without the works of the law, the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 3. And so this morning, I look at the Bible and I say, based on God's word, it's not I that proclaim myself righteous. He, he proclaimed me righteous by faith in Christ. Assurance of our salvation comes from the word of God, not from our emotions or vindicating ourselves. I can only imagine when God rejected Cain's beautiful offering. By the way, which one of those two offerings do you think smelled better to man? Which one of those two offerings? You can just imagine. I was reading a commentator yesterday. He did a tremendous word picture of what Cain's offering must have looked like. Cain is a tiller of the ground. He wor- he's a gardener. I don't know about you, but I'm going to take something down to the fair and put on display. I'm not going to take down my scrawny little withered up potato from my garden. I'm going to take my best. And Cain put his very best out there that would have impressed you and me. I can only imagine walking up and going... Ooh, that smells good. What kind of flowers are those? What did you do? Look at, man, what a beautiful offering. False religion is often beautiful. Pomp and circumstance. Talked to a man one time, an aged man. To my knowledge, he's dead now. When I first came here, I'd go witness to him, go witness to him. Gave him a little track, said, you must be born again. He said, I don't believe that. And he wasn't being unkind. He wasn't being rude. He said, I just don't believe that. I said, really? He said, no, I, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need to be born again. And I said, but Jesus said, you must. And he just shifted subjects. He said, you know, I, I really, I like going to churches where things are more formal. I love, the, and I believe he used the word, the pomp and circumstance of formal religion. And he went through what he enjoyed in church. He loved seeing a beautiful offering of fruit. It'll make you feel good to see a good display of someone's hard work in the garden. Not only make you feel good, it tastes good. But then walk over there by Abel's altar blood and black soot where the fire of God has consumed it. Not a beautiful sight, but a true one. That is not an accurate picture of man, the beautiful fruit. The blood and the burnt offering, ah, that's a picture of the horrendous nature of sin and its effect on mankind and the grievance against a holy God. When you cut, look, 
You study a, a formalistic church on Sunday morning. That's not the picture of mankind. You study a bloody cross on Calvary. That's the picture of mankind. The picture of man's awful sin and God's gracious love and goodness to do what was necessary to save us from our sin. And this morning, God said, I reject the beautiful works and I accept the bloody sacrifice because that's the one that I require. That's the payment for sin. And so then the vindication of his offering, finally the voice from his offering. Back to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. How many of you are planning when you have children, some of you young people, maybe you will name your child Cain. I've met one or two. But how many think maybe I'll name my son Cain? Why not? You could have uh, twins, boy and girl, Cain and Jezebel. <sighs> I've known some people, they're just honorary enough to do it. <laughs> but most people, including unbelievers, would never dream of naming their child Cain or Jezebel. Why? Because of the implication, the connotation of who he was. God rejected him. God marked him. He was a vagabond, meaning no one welcomes Cain. I mean, I preached a message on Thursday night about Cain. I'd say it's not going to be nearly as nice as the one about Abel. Yeah, my point this morning is, but Abel, right now, Abel by faith, meaning faith gives you eternal influence. The Bible says he being dead, I mean, Cain killed him, but he's still talking. He being dead. By the way, who did God use to reprove Cain? He said, I hear the blood of your brother crying to me from the ground. The blood of Abel was crying to who? God. You study the book of Revelation. Under the throne are the, the voices of saints who've been martyred. God hears them. God says, I hear what false religion is doing to my people. I'm going to tell you something. It's amazing to me a religion that rejects the blood of Jesus but has no problem shedding the blood of people. I'll say this. No God-centered, Christ-centered religion has ever persecuted anybody. You say, well, Christianity? No, Christianity did not persecute anybody. Catholicism did. Not Christianity. Bible Christians have been persecuted, but not persecutors. So, well, John Calvin persecuted. Thank you for making my point. Martin Luther persecuted. False religion always persecutes the truth. It's the way it goes. The firstborn always persecutes the born again. The old nature always persecutes the new nature. The flesh always persecutes the spiritual. You do well and I'll do well to realize if you're a Christian this morning, your old man hates the new man in you. The Cain nature you were born with, you've been born again, there is a despite and a hatred for the new man, for the spiritual things. Some people today want nothing to do with spiritual things. That's Cain but Abel today still speaks to us. He speaks and his voice cries from the ground to God, God said in Genesis chapter 4. He heard, said, I recognize you killed him, but I still hear him. And he held Cain accountable. But here in verse 4 of Hebrews 11, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, by that vindication from God, he being dead yet Meaning, Cain tried his best to influence God to accept him as he was. And God said, I don't accept. I don't accept the works of your hands. Abel approached God simply like a child by faith. And today, all these, what, 6,000 years later, Abel is still speaking to us today. I don't know about you. I want a life that has eternal significance. 
Amen? Well, tell you what. You die without Christ, you'll be like the rich man in hell. Nameless. We don't even know his name. Luke 16, we're told of two men. The rich man that fared sumptuously every day. He had his fruits all around him. The work of his hands. He fared sumptuously every day. And one day, and Lazarus, by the way, we know his name, was laid at his gate full of sores, and the dog licked the sores on Lazarus. You have a picture of a despicable man. The, the outcast of humanity is Lazarus. And here's the rich man, and everybody would admire him. But one day he died, and they buried him, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. What influence does a rich man have today? Only to say, don't go my way. What influence does Cain have today? Don't go my way. But Abel being dead yet, speak it's just like Lazarus in Luke 16. You know what the rich man wanted? He didn't say, let me out of hell to go warn my brethren. He said, would you send Lazarus? Maybe they would listen to him. He's got some influence. I'm saying today, the greatest way, the only way for your life to be saved, meaning preserved for eternity. You know why Abel can still speak today? Because he's not dead. His body is, but he's living. And the only way is through faith in God's way of salvation. Faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice he made in our place. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You think about how many men today are in eternity in hell, and their lives are lost. Not only the, By the way, you look at Cain. Let me, just, let me finish with this. As we speak of the influence of Abel. Cain, the Bible says, was, was an outcast, a vagabond. Meaning everywhere he went, nobody would have him. What he had been good at, God cursed the ground and God made it to where it would not yield its strength to Cain anymore. God basically allowed him to live out a miserable existence until he died out of the presence of the Lord and is, according to the word of God, in hell today. Why? Because he said, you'll take me as I am upon my merits. And by the way, did God give Cain an opportunity? He reasoned with him. Cain, if, if you're angry... Sin lieth at the door. I, I can take care of this. This can be remedied. Cain said, Mm-mm, no. Get angry at God. But on the, on the contrary, Abel who said, God is good, God is right. I am sinful. The cost of my sin is going to have to be the death of a sin, a, a, an innocent substitute in my place. And he approached God believing what God said. If you approach me this way, I'll accept you. And he believed God. And God counted to him for righteousness and testified, He's righteous. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. He has an eternal influence because of what? He came to God by faith. I don't know about you. I want my life to have an eternal influence. I want to be in heaven and the life that I've lived by the grace of God to leave an influence here. The best way to do it, come to God on his terms. Come to God the way Abel came to God, trusting that God is good, knowing that you are not acknowledging that Jesus Christ is the only remedy and payment for your sins. If you've never come to that, friend, that's the Bible way. It's not, it's not a variety of the Bible way. It's not, a, it's not a variant of the Bible way. As you study your Bible, you'll find, I remember this. I believed this truth when I was a little child. And I remember as I became an adult, I thought, I'm going to go back and just study the Bible with an objective mind. If I find that what I believed is false in the Bible, I'll reject it. And the more I studied my Bible... The more a, a joy thrilled my soul to say, God's way is by grace through faith. I don't care if you're reading Genesis or you're reading Revelation. God's way is by faith in a person, Jesus Christ. It's He that is worthy to be praised today. Mm-hmm.